Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Happy Singles Awareness Day. It's sad, y'all. Many of us have been there. You're out on a date with someone who just doesn't understand you at all. Some of us even have been in long-term relationships with people that just don't get us. Since this episode is coming out on Valentine's Day, we thought we'd have a little fun with the rules for dating my son or daughter memes with rules for dating my developer. For each rule, we'll talk about ways to better understand not just other developers, but the other people in your life. This is a great episode to listen to with a spouse or significant other, as a lot of these apply not only to developers. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I have been fighting with Scrivener Export. Um, Scrivener is a tool that's kind of like an IDE for writers. So you have you know chunks of text and you can build a large document with it. And I'm trying to get it to export into Word with you know, proper headings and all that kind of stuff for the book I'm writing. And it has to be in a certain format, you know, for the publisher. And the thing will not output like I want it to. And I'm now at the point where I'm like, okay, I can trick it into putting a chunk of text before the you know headings at the different levels and vary it based off of that. And I think I can write a VBA script in Word to go through and actually change all those things to what they should be and then Pull the you know pull that macro out of the document before I send it on to the publisher, and wow. that is absolutely awful to to be there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, but at least I've got a way to hack out of it, right? Um, so I've got that going on. I uh, had allergy tests. I have multiple allergies I did not know I had. Um, food allergies, like which are really really annoying. I'm supposed to get treated on all that kind of stuff. That's you know, that's coming. I'm turning 40 this year, so I, I kind of have to get off my butt about health stuff a little bit. So that's all I've got going on. How about you? It's a sad VD for me, as in Singles Awareness Day. I'll be on my own Valentine's Day. Well, actually, I take that back. I'll be with you, Will, since it's a Thursday and we'll be recording that night. All right. I got Valentine's Day plans. <laughs> But you ain't getting any candy. (laughs) I don't need any. Uh, At work, we've been interviewing for a new junior developer position. Uh, I had to go into the office almost every day last week. And that doesn't sound like much, but it's quite a haul from my new place. Um, Honestly, I probably wouldn't have moved out here if I didn't get to work from home most days. So it was was a bit stressful leaving at like 5 a.m. and not getting back until 7 or 8. But since this episode is coming out on Valentine's Day, and that's sort of the theme, I've got something Valentine's Day themed for IOTs. So this is a project aptly named Valentine's Day IoT Project. It's a 
connected paper heart that will light up when it receives a love note. You can build this for or with your significant other, then send notes to one another from your phone or laptop. The heart receives a signal from a Wi-Fi connected device that turns a light on and causes the heart to move around. The tutorial includes step-by-step -step instructions on how to build and set up the IoT Heart, as well as a really cool video demonstration. This is a fun project that you could do today, either by yourself or with a partner. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an email from Ben Hensley saying, Hello. First of all, I wanted to say I'm loving the podcast. I'm not a developer yet but I'm slowly working my way there while working full-time in the video production world. I haven't done any college courses yet, not sure if I'm going to, but have been doing a bunch of online courses, or at least I've started a lot of them. I get stuck and will bounce around to other courses. Not the best practice, but I'm improving and hope to someday work in the CS world. Your podcasts have been great. I've been learning from them, and one awesome thing is some of it applies to my current work as well. I struggle listening to them while driving because I want to take notes but can't. I appreciate what you guys are doing. Have a great day. Thanks for everything, Ben. Ben, thanks so much for listening. I'm going to say one of the toughest parts, especially early on, is sticking with one area of study. When it starts to get difficult, that can be hard to do. It can also be very tempting to move to something else. You kind of have to be your own teacher, forcing yourself to stay with that one topic until you figure it out or you find someone to ask for help. User groups and newbie meetups are great for this. As for taking notes while listening, check out the website because we put together exhaustive show notes. Uh, you can even follow along with the episode while reading them. While you're there, send us another email with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. And guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, LinkedIn, Google Plus, and Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Check us out each week on Twitter and Facebook Live. We talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. It takes a unique individual to be a software developer. You have to be able to focus on the specific while coding and testing, but see the larger picture when designing a solution. It also takes a fair bit of nerdiness and studiousness as you have to constantly be a student and learning to keep up with the industry. While shows like Big Bang Theory and Mr. Robot tend to portray nerds as unathletic asthmatics, software developers come in all forms. Relationships with software developers come with their own challenges. Whether you are a developer dating another developer or coming from a completely different perspective, relationships within the software development community face the same things as other relationships. However, the way developers react and handle situations may be different. We're going to talk about seven rules for dating developers. 
some of this is a bit of fun around the rules for dating my son slash daughter, you know, memes, since the episode is coming out on Valentine's Day. Though in each rule, we'll discuss a serious way for developers and those that love them to better understand each other. This is a great episode to enjoy with those you love. And as always, it is kid friendly so the whole family can actually enjoy it. We do have one disclaimer, though. Will and I are limited by our own experiences, and we can't talk to those of groups that we're not members. Neither one of us has ever been a woman, so we can't talk about what it's like to be a female developer and dating. We just don't have that life experience and would not begin to try and understand it. And the same goes for other situations which we have not got the experience. Our goal with this episode, though, is to provide value while having a little bit of fun. So sit back with your significant other and enjoy the rules for dating my developer. The first rule we have is your mileage may vary. My developer is not a stereotype. The stereotype of the scrawny nerd in his parents' basement really doesn't apply. I don't know that it ever really did. It's sort of something that came about in the mid-90s. Yeah, it was basically as um, the PC world kind of got democratized. You know, everybody started getting home computers with an internet connection. And yeah, there was a lot of change. And most of the computer people you knew tended to be kind of basement dwelling nerds that didn't fit in. And, you know, that was kind of the leading edge of adoption. But that has passed long ago. Developers are, you know, really normal people now for the most part. and. Mm -hmm. You know, frankly, we have our own houses and we sit in our own basements instead of mom's basement uh, at the very least. You will still find people that believe these stereotypes and, you know, they'll think that you're not any good unless you fit the stereotypical nerd. You'll even run into companies who won't hire people without a CS degree. I kind of call this the computer science bias. Yeah. And it's especially uh, painful when they don't really need a CS degree. To do the work, right? Like most web development, that's you don't need a CS degree for that. Now, if you're writing your own kernel, yeah, you're writing your own database, you're doing really hard stuff, low level stuff, sure. But most of the time, you don't. And I mean, the other thing is, is they they also have a certain view of what a CS major should know and should look like. So they've got the idea that, oh, hey, this dude looks like he lifts weights. I'm not going to hire him. He probably was a crappy CS major. Even if you've got the degree, you'll run into that. The thing is, developers come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, you're going to find former football players and cheerleaders sitting beside members of the AV club. And I have had that exact situation happen in places, uh, in trainings and conferences that I've gone to where you, know, you have a diverse group of people. Lunch conversations at work can range from sorority reunions to the newest DLC for whatever game is out there. I know not that long ago, I was sitting at lunch with some of my coworkers, and half the time we were talking about one of our developers is getting married and she was talking about wedding planning. And the other half of the time, we were talking about this new game that now I have to get because it's really cool. And apparently, you're a pirate commanding a ship and sounds really awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I mean, we just don't really fit the uh, stereotypes anymore. And I think 
a lot of people kind of still have the high school concept of what a developer type personality is. And, you know, I mean, for people that are our age, you know, what you got out of high school 20 years ago and it was 21 for me and relying on those stereotypes to be informative now is not an overly useful approach. The thing is code schools and boot camps have made it so that a person doesn't need a computer science degree or even years of personal study to become a software developer. This, along with a lot of other things, has created a diverse range of personalities. It's really kind of lowered the barrier of entrance into programming. So you don't have to have that, I don't know, say nerdiness, but that level of computer science knowledge to be a web developer. Like you can you can be an artistic person and go and become a developer. Yeah, I mean you can really fit in with a much broader range of skills. And you know, honestly your computer science students end up attending boot camps a lot of times because they've got to get those other skills too. Mm-hmm. Their CS degree isn't sufficient anymore. Like it we don't fit in the box that we're put in. Now, Given that, uh, stereotypes shouldn't be completely discounted uh, just because they're stereotypes, right? There are a lot of people in tech that still very definitely fit that stereotype. Many developers, they're going to prefer to be in front of their computers over watching TV or doing something else. Yeah, Um, and that's definitely me. Yeah, a lot of us will spend all night working on something, uh, especially if it's something that we don't get to do in our day job. I know. I do a lot of I do a lot of really exciting stuff at my job. Like we're getting into .NET Core and the newest versions of Angular, and we're doing some really cool stuff. But I am fascinated by Python. I'm very likely to stay up all night playing around with Python. Uh, well, before this semester started, now I'm likely to stay up all night working on a uh, Linux VM because you know. That's my assignment for school. But, you know, the other thing is a lot of us like to play video games because what it reminds me of is, you remember back when we used to do a lot of martial arts and we kind of got into the jujitsu stuff a lot. I really loved watching MMA fights because I understood what was going on. Yeah. Now, I was not at that level. I could not compete at that level. And I had no, no delusions about that. But... I enjoyed watching it because I understood what was going on. A lot of developers enjoy playing video games because they understand what's going on behind them. Yeah, or or even trying to hack the game and figure out yeah. how to, you know, how to get more stuff based off of uh, manipulating the rules of the game in mm-hmm. in many ways. Now, the next one is respect how my developer socializes and interacts with the outside world. There's really two important spectrums here, uh, and these help you understand how people interact socially. One is the introvert-extrovert spectrum, or where you get your energy. And the other is the shy versus outgoing spectrum, or kind of how you interact with people when you're around them. One of my biggest pet peeves, and since we're talking about dating, I see this a lot on profiles in dating sites, is the term extroverted introvert. It's it's like saying dry water. It's an oxymoron. Yeah, it really is. Um, because it's they're two sides of the same coin, or they're two extremes on the same spectrum. They're the same thing. What they mean by that, and I understand they're meaning outgoing 
introvert, but it just, I don't know. It's, it's that, that grammar nerd in me that really just, it irks me. So getting into this, being an introvert or an extrovert kind of determines where you get the energy and excitement to do the things that you have to do day to day. The best way to think about this is to ask yourself, what do you prefer when you've had a rough day? Do you want to go home and be left alone to re-energize for the next day? Or would you rather go out with friends and vent your frustrations and do something with a group of people that gets you pumped up? Yeah. And I tend to want to go home and just chill out by myself. And it really doesn't matter, even if it's a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that's, I've got to recharge and that's definitely part of being an introvert. Right. Whereas I'm an extrovert and I prefer to go out with people. And you made a good point. This applies to responding to having a good day as well. So if you've had a great day, let's say you got a promotion. Now, you remember when I got promoted? Yep. What did I want to do? Go out and get a beer, if I remember correctly. Right. I wanted to go meet you. I was even willing to drive to your side of town that we were in, <laughs> which, you know, was like five minutes further than over on my side of town, you know, but I, I was like, let's, I'll meet you over there. You only have to drive five minutes. Let's just go have a beer and celebrate. That's what I wanted to do. But for you, something like that would be, you know, you'd go home, be happy, rest up, and then tell me about it. Because the first thing I'm going to want to do is take you out for a beer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That said, introverts, they get refreshed from being alone and spending time by themselves. Whereas extroverts gain their motivation from being around others, especially their friends. And you can be anywhere on this spectrum from extremely introverted to extremely extroverted. However, most people tend to land somewhere on one side or the other of the middle. There's even been studies about job preferences. Yeah. IT jobs used to be very, very, you know, introverted people. They were like, yes, this is a perfect job for you because you deal with computers. You don't deal with people. However, as the industry has evolved and stuff has gotten more complicated and it's kind of reached deeper into various businesses and, you know, you get agile and you get all these uh, methodologies where you got to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not so sure that this is the best career path for somebody that is deeply introverted and shy. In my opinion, I think it is, I think it has to do a lot with the project management style. So, you're more waterfowl. So, your more waterfall style managements are going to be, here's the spec, go build it, which is much better for the introvert. Whereas your more agile styles are, we've got these meetings where we're getting together with the subject matter experts and the people who know about this, and you're going to have to talk to them and interact with them a lot. And that's much better for the extrovert. Yeah, I really hate the uh, the waterfowl style of management. I mean, you just have to duck all the time. Your boss is a total quack. It's They try to goose the project schedule. It's awful. So, Will is on the introverted side, which we, we've explained, and I'm a lot more extroverted. The interesting thing about it is I took the full Myers-Briggs test, not just the, the short one online, back in college. And... Out of a range of 50 on either side of introvert, extrovert, I fall only five into the extrovert side, 
while I'm extroverted, I am just barely extroverted. And there are times that I'm like, you know what? I just want to go home and rest. Moving on to the next one, whether you're shy or outgoing expresses how you interact with others when you are around them. Yeah. So, for this one, think about how you interact with a party with a mix of people that you know or don't know. Uh, Do you stick to just the people you know, even avoiding them if they're talking to somebody that you don't know? Or do you go around and just start talking to people? Mm -hmm. And so, this is why I'm outgoing is I will go and talk to just about anybody. It's just that being an introvert, I just get kind of worn down by it. Someone further on the shy side of the spectrum will not be comfortable around a lot of new people, and they prefer to stay with their close friends. Or if, you, if you've if seen some of the memes on Facebook, they'll go to the party and spend all their time playing with the animals. Yeah, I've... I've had a few friends in the past that were kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Now, a person on the outgoing side loves the company of lots of people, uh, some of whom are new and different. I mean, you've seen me interact with people that I've never met before. Yeah. I I feed off of it. I love it. It's so much fun because the people that know me, they already, they've heard all my stories. These new people haven't. I get to tell new stories. (laughs) Yeah. And watch their faces the whole time. And I enjoy that too. It's just that afterwards it it affects us differently. And I think that's... Now, you may be anywhere on this spectrum. Most people find themselves somewhere towards the middle of extremely shy or extremely outgoing. Will and I obviously are both outgoing. However, I tend to be further out on the spectrum than he is. Combining these two spectrums, you get a picture of how a person socializes and what to expect when you're out with them in public. Outgoing introverts, people like Will, enjoy being around other people, but they need that time with themselves to refresh and recover. Yeah. And this is really important if, like, for instance, if I've been around people a lot, like, you know, we've been at a conference and we've had the booth and we've been speaking and all that kind of stuff. I get like this, the way I describe it is an introvert hangover where I'm just overstimulated and I cannot be around people for a while. And that's how it affects me after a conference. And I just kind of have to, you know, go somewhere by myself and just kind of decompress for a bit before I'm uh, fit to be around other people. Yeah, I remember when we came up with that term was right after Music City Code, the first time we had the booth, and you surprised yourself with how outgoing you were. But afterwards, you had scheduled a thing with your wife's family and were just done with people. It was you had you had used up all of the energy you had to be around people and it hit you and you're like, I feel like I'm hung over. It's so horrible. Yeah. Now, outgoing extroverts like me enjoy being around other people and we kind of feed off of the crowd. These are your charismatic performers, charismatic speakers that are, tend to be this way. Also, people that enjoy going to concerts, especially like the high energy rock or metal concerts, that's what we're thinking of here, that they want to be out and around people and they feed off of that. They get more excited and more energetic the more they're around people. Yeah. And that's that totally sounds foreign to me because like <laughs> rock concerts and stuff, that does not interest me at all. It's you know jam-packed with people and it's loud. Mm-hmm. And you know, like that, that is totally not my thing. 
Now, shy introverts don't enjoy being around a lot of other people and feel most comfortable when they're alone. This even applies to being out with their friends. They tend to be the ones who more outgoing extroverted people try to bring out of their shell. Yeah, it's like how I was in college, right? Like, I mean, what was that club? We went to some club downtown and I just basically almost had a panic attack. I mean, I was super duper shy. Like there was just a few people I liked and, you know, like I could, I could probably talk to people that went to college with us. They don't remember me because I didn't ever talk to them. Graham Central Station. That's maybe, the name of that club. yeah. They had, they had like five different levels. And I think what we ended up doing was taking you up to the roof where they had, there's very few people out there. They kind of had a band playing. It wasn't really a dance floor. And you could go, like, you could go look out over the river. Yeah. And just kind of get some, some space. I, some I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I used to be painfully shy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shy and introverted. Like, I mean, I got all the way through college. There's people I remember that I sat next to in Bible class and I've run into them since then and have said hi. And they're like, I, I'm not sure I know you. And I'm like, yeah, we sat next to each other in Dr. York's Bible class. Yeah. You know, and, and they don't remember me because I did not talk to them. Yep. And obviously that would not happen now. <laughs> Very true. Now, shy extroverts are rather rare. Though they like to be around their close friends, but they're uncomfortable around people they haven't met. Uh, the thing about this is it can make finding new friends very difficult unless their current friends introduce them. Yeah, this is the way you are if you're sick or you're kind of down. Yeah, this is this is how I am, especially when I'm like, when I was going through the roughest parts uh, after my divorce, it's how I was. I wanted to go out and be around people. But I wanted to be around my people, not just anyone. Yeah. So, the next rule we have is accept my developers' odd fandoms and learn to share and enjoy them. Spend time getting to know their fandom. Whether this be TV shows like Doctor Who, playing board games, playing video games, or even fantasy role-playing and hitting each other with foam swords. Learn what your partner enjoys doing. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? Everybody's got hobbies, and a lot of hobbies that developers tend to engage in are kind of still fairly nerdy. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to denigrate those and to act like, okay, this isn't as cool as this other thing. But, you know, it's their jam, right? Like, uh, it's very common for developers to trash talk people that really like sports, but That's also bad, right? Like it does not help you communicate with the other party. This is a large part of their life. Yeah. This is how they're choosing to spend their time. And so you want to be a part of their life. You need to be a part of this as well. And like you were saying, you know, something that developers tend to talk down about is sports, but sports is another type of fandom, whether you play or you watch. If you're a more geekier developer, don't look down on those of us that enjoy sports. Yeah, you know, I was talking earlier about the diversity amongst the team that I'm on. Recently, we had conversations that ranged from talking about that vid- really cool video game to talking about how absolutely blind the refs were in the last Saints game. You know, totally missed that pass interference call that cost the Saints their chance to win the Super Bowl. I'm not biased at all on this at all. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, the thing is, the sports ball meme. 
is a lot of times used as an insult. I have seen this done to people before where someone was really excited about some sport and they're trying to share it with, and this wasn't a significant other, but with their friends or just, you know, something really cool happened or they're really excited about something and like they were talked down to and almost made fun of by the person they're talking to and trying to get involved in their excitement and just express how happy they were. Yeah. And I mean, really, this goes both ways, right? Because the other thing you've got to do, uh, you know, when you, you have something that you're interested in and you're discussing it is you got to make sure that the rest of the people at the table are actually interested in it. And, you know, developers do this all the time, right? Like we can talk about, you know, JavaScript frameworks or whatever at length and bore the crap out of everybody else there. <laughs> yeah. Right. And sports people do the same thing. Car people do the same thing. Holy crap. That's a whole nother can of worms, right? A lot of this is being aware of your environment and the people that are in it. And um, the ones you care about, get them to participate in this stuff or get them interested in it in an appropriate and, way. And even if you're not interested in it, you can still find connections to things that you are interested in. Uh, this is something that as an outgoing extrovert for most of my life, all of my life since I've learned to talk, uh, I have done because it's how I connect with people. For example, did you realize that fantasy sports is basically just Dungeons and Dragons for jocks? Yeah, it really is. And you can you can really connect with a person who is into sports and you're not just with that knowledge. Now, personally, I really am into fantasy sports. I'm terrible at it. And I think my team came in third to last in the league I'm in, but I still enjoy playing. It's like we, a bunch of us bring our switches into work and on our lunch break, we get together and play Super Smash Brothers. I'm terrible at it. Uh, I have I have taken to the role of being the prankster. And so I'm just basically the foil for everyone else. It's like, you know, I'm about to like really just wail on this other person. Beach, why are you beating me up now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that's that's the role I've taken because I, I know, hey, I'm not that great at the game, but I can still have fun with it. And that's the thing. That's the, the point I'm getting at is that you want to try and participate if you can with your developer and their fandom. You know, this is going to bring your relationship to a new level. A lot of activities can be enjoyed with multiple people. And for some of us, doing things with your partner is the highlight of the activity. Yeah, it really is. Now, this isn't to say that you have to do everything that they do, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that you have to show some degree of, okay, I value this or I, I value you. You're not a placeholder that I'm just cramming into this box, right? Like that, that's really what's going on there. Right. For example, we have a friend who is really big into board games and he gets together with a group that meets not very far from where I used to live at a bar and every other week they get together and play board games. I went out with him a couple of times. I enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. I got to talking to his wife and she is not into it. She's like, you know, I, I come out with him because it's something he loves and he enjoys, but it's not really my jam. But she did it because, hey, it 
you know, I'll go out, I have some pizza and beer and I might play one game if there's someone interested playing. Otherwise she just sits there and, you know, just hangs out with them, talks to people. Yeah. But she is there supporting what her husband really enjoys. And the further, the more I got to talking to her, you know, she has things that she really enjoys that he goes with her to. And it's, it's sort of this give and take showing interest in something that your partner enjoys it encourages them and it's going to encourage them to take interest in the things that you enjoy. Also, you never know when you're going to find something that you love. I have another friend um, that she is now a really big gamer. Honestly, she got into it back. uh, Do you remember the old Halo LAN parties when people used to bring like their Xboxes over to someone's house and plug them all in together to play Halo against each other? Yeah, I never did that, but I remember it happening. Uh, This friend of mine, she is a huge gamer now because the guy she was dating at the time was into it. And so she started playing with him and turned out she was better than him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And even after they stopped dating, she just really, she got into it. I remember going over to her house back in grad school and, you know, just sitting there drinking a beer and playing Halo with <laughs> and getting whooped people. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh totally. She was amazing. <laughs> so speaking of getting whooped, the next rule is to be able to communicate with my developer. People have different ways they've adopted to communicate and understand each other. These can be either healthy or unhealthy in a relationship and Whether it is healthy or not may even vary between relationships. What's a healthy way to communicate in one instance may not be so great in another one. Right. Like I have a coworker who absolutely loves debating and arguing with people. Like that's his primary way of communicating. You know, the meme changed my mind. Yeah. He had, he had that taped on his desk. Like he, he printed it out really big and taped it to his desk at one point. It was hilarious. But we have other coworkers that when you get into a heated debate, they just clam up. Like that is not their way of communicating at all. And the funny thing is these two people are good friends because they have learned how to talk to each other. And that's the thing. You have to learn to understand different styles of communication and work with those differences. Also, you need to be able to identify negative patterns or responses in your own communication. Yeah, because like if you if you hear a certain thing from a significant other and that kicks you off, you know, and it gets you into a negative spiral, you've got to be able to recognize that, right? Like they should probably recognize it too and go, okay, I need to communicate differently, but you still have to have control from both ends really on this kind of stuff. We're going to look at four dichotomies or spectrums of different styles of communication that you may fall into different places on these spectrums than your partner. And the goal is to understand how you communicate and be able to understand the other person as well. Yeah. These are different uh, than the passive aggressive, passive aggressive and assertive styles that we discussed. Uh, We had a previous episode with uh, Cody and Aaron, and I'm trying to remember when that was. It's been at least a year. It was pretty far back there. There's more details in the link that'll be in the show notes. A common difference in communication is between the amplifier and the condenser communication styles. Now, the condenser style only shares as much information as is absolutely necessary for communication. 
whereas the amplifier provides extra detail to increase understanding present a full picture, and then get buy-in, essentially, from the other party. Amplifiers may be frustrated with condensers because they don't talk enough about their feelings or give enough detail. Condensers in relationships with amplifiers need to make an effort to express their thoughts and feelings. And the thing is, for amplifiers, this kind of sharing builds intimacy. Whereas condensers can feel overwhelmed with all the information provided by an amplifier, amplifiers in relationships with condensers need to practice expressing themselves in a short, concise manner. And, you know, this is something I've seen in my wife's family. My father-in-law is definitely a condenser. You know, he was a federal prosecutor. He doesn't say more than he needs to say. That's that. His wife, not so much. And so I can remember you know, several instances where she was going on about something and he's like, Charlene, land the plane. <laughs> right? Like, you know, this, there's too much data here. Like, give me the, you know, give me the raw facts. As an amplifier, the way to, to do this is write down your thoughts and then kind of try to distill out the key points that you want to make to your condenser partner. Now, the next spectrum or difference in communication is the competitive versus affiliate styles. Yeah, competitive communicators tend to be more assertive and challenging. So, they're oriented towards power and dominance, and they tend to make decisions on their own. They don't wait on other people. Affiliate communicators tend to be more collaborative. They view challenges and disagreements as hostile Whereas they prefer to bring people together to solve problems as a team. When in a relationship or on a team, the competitive communicator it needs to be more mindful of their own nature to take charge or to challenge authority. And the affiliate communicator, they're going to need to talk to their competitive partners in advance and come up with a strategy for sharing decisions. Yeah, and this is really tricky um, just in any relationship because it's very easy to either feel stepped on or to step on somebody and not mean to. Um, you know, that's, I'm trying to think of the way that it was put to me when I was a kid. It was a, uh, was it a gentleman never insults unintentionally? But it's really easy to do that, right? And, you know, the, uh, the fallout can be pretty bad. So the next one, people communicate needs in one of two ways that's, you know, direct or indirect. And a direct communicator will explicitly state what they want or need with really no room for interpretation or misunderstanding. Whereas an indirect communicator will use a more abstract or vague method of expressing their needs and wants. Most of us use both styles of communication, but lean toward one or the other. While direct communicators are better understood they do tend to run the risk of being offensive. On the other side, indirect communicators are less likely to offend, but they risk being ambiguous or misunderstood. Will and I both tend to be direct communicators. Yeah, and when discussing sensitive or emotional topics, if you're a direct communicator especially, your words have to be chosen wisely. You know, a, a direct communicator is going to need to remember that the words they choose might be hurtful and be careful about them. Like, even if you think, hey, that was kind of stupid, you probably don't want to say that to a indirect communicator. Yeah. An indirect communicator 
they're going to need to be more explicit in saying what they need or want because a direct communicator is going to get frustrated at the ambiguity that the indirect communicator likes to use. Both can be uncomfortable at first until trust is built and an understanding is found between the people communicating. Finally, there are two styles to approaching serious conversation that are basically termed hot and cold. The hot style prefers to get issues out in the open and have the conversation about these issues immediately. Whereas the cold style does not like intense situations and generally prefers to spend time thinking about the conversation or situation before responding. Now, hot communicators will feel pressure to kind of relieve the tension of serious conversations, and they have to learn to let their partners have time to process. So you got to step back, take a breath, focus on something else for a while, and let the other person have time to kind of come around to stuff. Cold communicators need to understand that waiting is the hardest part. I mean, Tom Petty had it right on that one for the hot communicator and not exacerbate their stress. Uh, You know, I have in the past dated women that were cold communicators and some of them used that to cause extra stress on me for a result. Yeah. Yeah. Like where they did the thing where they're going, we're going to talk about this later. And you're like, Oh crap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you know, those relationships did not really last, but the ones that lasted the longest with a cold communicator were the ones that said, Hey, I need a chance to think this out. You know, give me time to process it, but we will talk about it. Let's set aside a time to get together and discuss it. So, putting these all together, you kind of get a view of a person's preferred way of communicating. Right. For instance, um, I tend to communicate hot, direct, competitive, and I tend to condense things. Beege is more of an amplifier and an affiliate, and he's still direct and he communicates hot, right? Like he doesn't weight on stuff. Speaking of hot and direct communication that is nice and condensed, my developer is not your family's personal IT professional. A lot of times, families and significant others can treat developers kind of as their own personal IT people. And a lot of times, this really comes out of a misunderstanding of what we do. It's like, okay, you can program so you can fix any computer. Yeah, Even if a developer knows other areas in IT... That doesn't mean that they want to work for free maintaining your family's computers. Also, sometimes second career developers don't know about stuff like network security, antivirus software. They don't have that IT hardware background. Honestly, a lot of uh, first career developers don't either. Uh, You would be shocked at how many of those there are. So just because somebody's a developer... Like that does not mean that you want them adminning your machine Mm -hmm. because we do a lot of dangerous and stupid stuff because we can get out of it. (laughs) While this is not their job, a lot of developers feel obligated to help out family members and significant others complaining about problems that developers know they can solve makes them want to help. And a lot of us are just problem solvers by nature. So, we see an issue and we want to do something about it. 
Well, and the other thing too, which we're going to get into later is how you express appreciation to other people. And this is the way developers, some of us do that. Mm -hmm. The other thing is we want to show how clever we are by solving a difficult problem outside of our area of expertise. Don't put your developer partner in this awkward situation. You know, if asking for assistance, allow them an out. It's one thing if you're saying, hey, my computer's acting up. Could you take a look at it? And it's another thing if you say, hey, my second cousin's son has an iPad that isn't working right. Can you look at it? Yeah. Uh, One of those is you need help. Another one is I'm using you. Yeah. And also don't make them feel obligated to help. I know one of the reasons that I got out of tech after high school, and some of you guys know my story and stuff, but was because I kept getting asked to, hey, could you look into this? Could you check up on this, on this computer? Or, hey, I've got this going on on my computer. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm I'm in pre-med now. I don't know anything about that. I can't help because I don't know. It's different from, you know, two years ago. Right. Now, the next one is to learn and understand how my developer expresses and receives love or appreciation. And this is the love languages stuff. Now, this guy named Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate, and put this out in 1995. In the book, he talks about five ways to express or experience love. According to Chapman, each person has a primary and a secondary love language. To understand someone's love language, you have to watch how they express love and what they like and dislike about the way others treat them. There's also a quiz that you can take. It's on the website and it has you compare different statements to determine which language you use most. The higher the score, the more you use that language, the highest being your primary language. And of course, with that, the lower the score, the less you use that language. Now, this is copyrighted material, so we're just going to kind of briefly cover each language based on the available content that is out there for free. Since his initial book, Chapman has published several more talking about these love languages in specific cases. There are some about singles, some for people in the military. There's even one for the workplaces, and you can check the link in the show notes to find out more about those. Now, I took the quiz when I was writing this outline. So, these are in order of my results, first being my primary love language and the last being my least. Will's mileage may vary. And does. So, the first one is words of affirmation. And this is the process of using words to show affection or build another person's confidence. For yeah. this language, <laughs> this is your big one. <laughs> now, for this language, compliments, especially unexpected ones, mean more than actions and doing things. People yeah. with this language are driven by hearing encouraging statements. It can be simple things like thanking them for doing daily tasks. Yeah, of course, the downside is insults can be a lot more devastating and do damage for longer than with other languages. So, this is highest for me, but it's probably one of the lowest ones for Will. And this is something that we had to learn years ago 
on how to interact. Yeah, because like um, people being overly complimentary, there's a certain point where I'm like, okay, that's nice. And then past that, I get a little, it, it just makes me uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. they're trying to put an obligation on me. Whereas I don't think that you have those feelings about that. Not at all. Now, the one area that it works for both of us is in iTunes reviews. Like it lifts both of us up when we see a positive iTunes review. Well, because that has, you know, that actually mixes both of ours, really. Yeah. And the interesting thing is they've learned this at work. And so when I hear something like, hey, thanks for putting in extra effort or, hey, I noticed you put in a lot of work on this. Thanks for all that effort. It makes me want to work twice as hard next time. Now, the next one is, uh, you know, quality time. In other words, if you give the person your full attention, that's how you show value. And this can be a lot more than just physically being with the person. It means being present in the situation. And this is a big one for me. Um, you know, this means no phone or TV. You're focused on having a conversation with me, not on the game mm-hmm. or whatever's going on in the background. Connections with other people are strengthened by spending time together. With this, though, changing plans to not spend time together or changing plans that add distractions can be hurtful to the person. Yeah. So like if we were going to go out to eat and then all of a sudden it changes at the last minute to, Oh, I want to go to the sports bar so I can watch the game. Like I'm not going, that's just not my jam, you know, at that mm-hmm. point. Cause it's like, okay, this, I'm not getting what I thought I was going to get out of this. So I, I'm not in. Right. So one of the things that I really enjoy about trivia night is that you're not allowed to use your phones. So between questions, you have a group of five or six people that don't have their phones out. You have actual conversation and spend time with each other. Uh, it's it's one of like the things that I really enjoy about going out to trivia. So the next one on the list is physical touch. This would be holding hands, kissing, hugging, up to even more intimate touching to show love. People with this love language tend to be termed touchy-feely. For them, pats on the back, touching the arm, or even hugs express emotion. And this could show concern, love, even excitement. Yeah, and the point of the touching is that it communicates warmth and love to these people. So if you're being standoffish and not physically available, they're going to take this badly. It can be difficult for a person who doesn't like being touched to be close with someone whose love language is physical touch. They really have to learn the boundaries, right? Like, you know, we've got several friends that are like this, right? They come up and they give you a big old hug. And I'm not tremendously awkward about this, but it's not one of my top ones, right? And I would much rather receive it than give it. I um, think this is something that you and I both adapted to based on our background, And the way we grew up is we were around a lot of people like this. So we learned to receive it, but it's still a little awkward for us to give it. Yeah. The next one is thoughtful gifts. And these are given because a person cares about another. This is different from kind of a materialistic view of relationships. The person receiving gifts thrives on the thoughtfulness and effort behind the gift not the monetary value of it. Right. So to expand that, this would be the you know the difference here is the difference between getting a gift card to the liquor store and here's a bottle of that scotch that you said you liked 2 years ago when we were eating dinner. Receiving a well thought out gift shows that 
you're cared for and loved. For these people, gifts are symbolic of the other person's affection for you. Giving gifts is an expression of the other person's value to the giver. Now, I, personally, I am more apt to show affection by giving gifts. Uh, I've been called a good gift giver just because to me, it's, I notice when people say that, oh, hey, I really like this scotch. And I yeah. remember like later on. And then it shows uh, up at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, a girlfriend, you remember Cassie, that, uh, she was definitely not this style. And over the course of the year, I had picked up on, oh, she likes this and she likes this and she likes this. And throughout it, I had found sales and deals to get each of the things that she liked. So when it came to Christmas, I had this huge like bag full of stuff for her that was all the things that she wanted. And it really frustrated her because she hadn't like she felt that she had not gotten me equivalent gifts. Sort of like that episode of uh, Big Bang Theory where like Sheldon isn't able to figure out what to get Penny <laughs> because she got him an autographed napkin of um, Litter Nimoy. Oh, okay. And he's just like he just like gives her everything, and like she didn't know how to respond to this. And for me, like an equivalent gift would have been a well thought out note. Because yeah. that would be words of encouragement. She didn't have to spend any money. Just like, give me a really nicely written letter. But it, it, it caused an issue. And, you know, obviously, we that relationship did not last. Um, and it's good that it didn't. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, so, the, the next one is kind of, um, I would say this is sort of my big one. And it's acts of service. So, if you do small things for another person, even though you don't have to do them, that you know, this is kind of my jam. So you make things easier on the person that you're helping. And it can be as simple as taking over one of their chores or responsibilities. It's basically whatever helps them get something done or removes a stressor from them. The key to showing affection here is doing this without obligation or being asked to help. Now, the worst thing to do with people whose love language is this is to break commitments or not follow through on what you said you'll do. While this is probably one of Will's tops, this is my least. This is the bottom of my list is I prefer to do things myself. And I kind of have trouble understanding people that show affection this way. And this, like, it, it's something that Will and I had to learn. He had to learn to give me compliments and I had to learn to let him help out and do things. And yeah. That's like how our friendship has grown, which is a really good point that these don't just apply to romantic relationships. They apply to friendships as well. Really, I think they it's it's at least as important in a friendship, if not more mm -hmm. important, you know, especially over the long term. Like you just gotta understand these communication protocols. And you know, I know your mother kind of has the same thing, right? She's that her primary is very much like mine. She likes to jump in and help out. Yeah, she she does. And to the point that my me and my sister sometimes get annoyed. It's like, let, let me do my thing. What you need to understand with this is as individuals, we're combinations of these languages. You know, in the book it talks about your primary and secondary, but each person has more or less each one of these. For me, going to concerts and sharing an artistic project is one of the most intimate activities. That, that I can do. I, I love doing the whole um, 
painting with a twist where you go and you drink wine and you paint. That's a great date for me because I, it's artistic. We spend time together and you tell me that my art is good. That's great. Going to concerts is another really awesome thing. I mean, let's be honest, guys. Lindsay Sterling is a love language. <laughs> so, the final rule for dating my developer is to my developer, it's more than a job or a career. It's a lifestyle. Which is how Lindsay Sterling is to you. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Realistically, developers are kind of the car guys of the corporate world. I mean... We're the white collar car guys. Yeah. I mean, developers get passionate about the work they do or the languages and frameworks that they use to get their job done. And we can be really proud of the machines we have. I mean, the amount of time some people put into building their new boxes. I went through this this last fall and I didn't spend an inordinate amount of time. I got somebody else who likes to do that (laughs) to do it for me. Um, Yeah. But you know, this is definitely a thing. And a lot of people really get into it. IT tends to be where career and hobby blend. A lot of developers were playing around with computers long before they got into serious development. Even people who have CS degrees were playing around with them as teenagers or kids. I mean, you guys know my story of going to med school, being in psychology before that. When I was in high school, I I was set. I was going to be a programmer that worked on space shuttles and went into space. I had a little bit of an obsession with space there, but you know, that was it. I'm like I took 3 years of programming in high school. And that's like I would go home and I would sit and listen to my Ace of Base CD and program on the computer. And I would spend all night just sitting there programming. Like this was the thing even after that when I wasn't in it, I still played around with it. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I, I think too that makes it into a lifestyle is a lot of people get into programming or they, you know, they take a programming class and then all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, this is the way I think. And they, you know, there's no separation there anymore. It's like, no, this is just, I'm just running code in reality. Now, for a good example of the culture, watch the old movie Hackers. Now, the technology, just like any movie, is horrendous, but it really captures that hacking culture, that desire to learn. It's about trying new things and seeing what you can do. Now, hacking is kind of frowned upon, freak heaven, uh, though things like Raspberry Pi and the Arduino allow for the same kind of learn by doing. And yes, guys, I know Kevin Mitnick is already free. Yes, I read 2600 Magazine. And yes, I had the bumper sticker. Actually, my friends in high school and I took the bumper stickers from the magazine, put them on t-shirts and wore them to school until the administration found out what they meant, and then we got in trouble for them. And realistically, you probably did that on purpose. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, yes, I we mean, did. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, developers, you know, we tend to enjoy the challenges and trial by fire of creating something out of nothing or out of ideas and to see if we can get it to work. And that's, you know, it's not just, okay, this is a tool that we use for our job. It's like, no, this is, this is an extension of me. So, guys, while these rules are a bit tongue-in-cheek, the information we've provided can help you not only interact with your significant other, but also with the other important people in your life. 
In addition, you can use this to better understand yourself and your own motivations and reactions to the people you interact with on a daily basis. We hope that you're able to take something away from this episode to improve your life and relationships. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I know there's somebody out there that is listening to this episode and they hear the way that some person likes to communicate, right? The the way that they feel valued, the way that they express love, the way that they handle issues. And they think it shouldn't be that way. And I'm going to tell you, that's fine. It shouldn't be that way. But it's a load of crap to think that you can actually enforce that on anybody else. Part of being an adult is realizing that other people are different than you. Other people are separate from you. And you have to figure out a communication protocol that lets you interact with them without problems. And that's what these strategies are actually for. I mean, we put it in the context of dating. That's not the only place that this applies at all. Uh, this applies in family relationships, business relationships, pretty much everywhere. It, you know, if you were in a locker room and you're playing sports and this is like your, you know, your big deal and you're a professional sports player, this is still useful stuff. So go out there and actually use it and try to be an adult and don't look at the world as what you think it should be but what it is and deal with that that's all i've got stand by for titanfall if you have a question or comment please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com our theme music is an excerpt from stand by for titanfall by pure bells available on soundcloud and licensed through creative commons the intro music for iot's is hillbilly hip-hop by jason belcher For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.